four minutes added on, I think it ended up 96 and a half minutes. The game is still going on. I'm so, so sorry. And the dying embers of the match floats it in. Oh, they haven't managed to get the white gas to get there. And it's still in. Oh, they've done it. Shamrock Rovers, 3-2. Rory Gaffney at the back post. And they leave. One for everybody in the audience! I can't believe it. Football, bloody hell. Here's Nissan episode 219 and it's me Gary P and of course it's the prof Carl Riley. Never in do. Never in do. Du, du, du. I love that song. The Late Late Show. <laughs> Once again we have mastered the art of coming from behind and scoring late prof. Um, let's the credit and Ocean Electrical our fantastic sponsors. Keep an eye out for something special coming up prof. It's that time of year. November 11th, save the date, we'll say no more, November 11th, um, yes, so we have the Mould and Shells game to talk about on today's show, and there's a memoriam with Tony Eustace, another great hooper, and some brilliant stories from friends and family, uh, yeah, the holy trinity of Rovers families, I believe. Yeah, prepare for uh, roller coaster today, first of all, we're going to make you sad, Yep. talking about Norway, then we're going to make you really, really happy, and then we're going to make you really, really sad again. And then we're going to fill you full of doubt. Towards the end of it to see if we're gonna win on Sunday. It's gonna be cryptic, prof. So yeah, the podcast didn't appear on any platform more than SoundCloud. It was old school. It was like the nineties. Felt like I was wearing Ben Sherman shorts and gelling my hair to the front again. <laughs> Just SoundCloud. On Bebo. Yeah, on Bebo <laughs> Flashbox. Um yeah, so it was seventeen hours after we not we don't know why. We don't fucking know. It happens. These things happen. Sometimes the podcast is okay in one ear and then it's not in the other. We actually don't know why. Oh, don't get me started on that one. Don't get props started. But, uh, it didn't appear until right at half time of the game in Norway, which is yeah. really strange. But uh, at least it got there in the end. Also, but, so- I tell you what, could have been a lot worse things to be doing under that game. <laughs> yeah, something we know, something I noticed as well. Um, we have a four point nine rating on Spotify with sixty two votes. Is that out of twenty? I presume it's out of five. <laughs> so, uh, just if you're if you're listening to this on Spotify at the moment, rather than change your speed settings. So it sounds like we're four points deep in the far problems. Why don't I give that button an old tap? Give, give us, us an old tap. Yeah, that's yeah. something we never gave a fuck about, was it? Shit. Ratings are top of the charts and shit like that. Yeah. We we know who listens. Like we're we're glad and we're happy to have you. But give us five. Show us some love. Whoever gave us less than five, you can fuck off. Someone get we're down yeah. to four point nine because of someone now. That was to- Pat Tutti. Hundred percent. We will feature shortly. Actually, um, and yeah. we also had the Joey and Doe remix. Um, at the end of the show, um, worth worth listening to the full two minutes at the end. Absolutely, that's, that's all I will say. Mayhem on that one. That was brilliant, brilliant um, from Prof again. And on that note, you just said there, Patrick Tohi, a young listener, sent in this. He said, "Listening to at East Stand Pod, twenty eighteen, comma 
no space. Good impression. Puff. Joey and Doe. Dome. By the lads. Didn't know he was Jamaican though. That was young Patrick Tohey there. Thanks, young Pat. I think he's in sixth. I think he's making his confirmation this year. Uh, won't dignify that horrible grammar response. Uh, you're, Gary, you're also getting stick for calling Brazil, who are nine to two favourites oh, yeah, to win the so, World Cup. So. Okay, right. Well, dark horses. Don't forget Brazil. No, no, Holland were the dark horses. I don't think I said Brazil were the dark horses. I said a fancy Brazil. I think Holland have been kind of pegged back through the years, but Brazil, like they got tonked. Didn't they in the semis by Germany? They haven't really done anything in a while. When's the last one they won? Actually, it's you, you talking about the semi final for eight years ago. Yeah, but when's the last time Brazil actually won a trophy? Um, it's that, been a while, hasn't it? When was the last Cup of America they won? No. Yeah, so I, I think I think the um, they've no, they don't have a real squad of superstars like your Neymar. Well, Neymar's still there, but like you know, Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Cafu, Dunga. I get your point. Since they've hosted the World Cup. I've never thought they're going to win this World Cup. But it was more of a pick. Dark Horses are Holland for me. I think they're going to be really good. I like. Uh, there's a fella I love. His name is Gakpo. I think he's deadly. But uh, yeah, no. So fuck you. Who was a Matty? <laughs> fuck you, Matty. Um, um, yeah, France. I think are second favourite than England. No, France. Then. I'd say England not to get out of group. France to uh, get tonked by someone anyway. Especially with that little troublemaker in there. What's his name? Mbappe. What a fucking prima donna that is. Apparently, <laughs> apparently um, he Hand, handed himself a transfer request. Himself a transfer <laughs> request. Uh, uh, Jonathan Grogan at East, at East Dan Pod just heard Talksport class I train a win as a tonking. Have a word. They, they're using our words? Are they Isn't that a prof? Like, word. Well, I didn't invent it, but it just now when you hear it, it it's just. It makes you think of tapeties now. It's so wrong, though. It's a is a, it's a comprehensive win. Would you say that? I like that. That's, comprehensive that's win. That's a good definition. Three zip. Four nils of Tonkin. Huh? <laughs> Eamon Mack. The James Kelly interview was a slow burner. I thought you wouldn't get more than two word answers out of him, but it turned out to be a good one. Sticking the boot with the collie and paired was excellent. Still trying to find out if he actually did mean that or if he knows them and it was tongue in cheek. Do you know what I mean? That's what I'm going to find out next. Hard to know, yeah. yeah um, Eamon also has a song for Neil Ferrugia. Um, I'm not going to read out all the verses if you if you want to read you can check out the form gives a snippet but here's the chorus it's, it's to the chorus of hallelujah so it's Neil Ferruja Neil Ferruja 90th minute Honky Dory Park Neil, Neil goes Ferruja. down the wing he cuts in onto his left foot <laughs> keep going keep going prof no I'm done onto his left foot buries it the crowd goes wild ah! Um, I also don't have the voice to sing right now it's Lewis. yeah Prof is back I should, I should make it an hour and a half but then I'm done just so you know right Prof was of our childhood 80% of the time Prof was unwell <laughs> he was a chronic cold man he constantly had colds yeah. oh he's snotting around the place thankfully in the past now but um, so yeah. it's one, first time in years I've seen There's him something sniffling something fester in here anyway it's not it's, it's what happens because we've had 20, 15 to 20 degrees we're talking about it off air it's been very warm lately for the last couple of months in general and then the temperature drops slightly everybody's sick everybody my kids are sick she's sick everybody's just unwell we're not able for that drop in temperature so Jason Maloney's mum and dad's anniversary recently passed and I got him thinking about how much they were responsible for his rover's upbringing and his granddad's as well both hoops in the Milltown glory days and Jay sent this 
I said to John Maloney and Jack Rennan, to my old man Dad, who helped me and my siblings carry on the tradition and uh, brilliant stuff from Jason Maloney. And it, I mean, that's going to resonate with, I'd say, three quarters of our fan base who are listening now who've been brought to games and lifted over turnstiles and brought into pubs and given fizzy lemonade in the corner and just all thing hoops growing up. And I'm, I'm doing it with my kids now at the minute and I'm hoping they'll feel the same when, when I eventually... Go through the torn style in the sky. <laughs> is, that, is that a phrase that's ever been used before? <laughs> it is now. Um, but no, it's a, it's a lovely, here, lovely um, sentiment from Jay. Three generations of here, but that was great to hear. Yeah. Um, and then again, Jason Maloney. On the way to the stadium, the taxi man said to us, are you mad going to a match like that on a night like this? He said he had the Arsenal versus Liverpool commentary on his car radio. We'll see things they'll never see. But... Um, yeah, listen. I have said this before. Certain I, type of mentality, isn't it? I don't. I genuinely don't understand the rain thing. It's such a common expression. It's like, oh, the rain. I'll knock it, knock a bit off the attendance there now. I'll knock a tail. Isn't it? Why? You can't even understand, mate. You're not. We have stands in Tala. Either you're on a bus or in a car. Yeah. You're gonna get wet for two minutes. You're gonna understand. Yeah, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Some people baffle me. Um, and prof, the big one of the week. Have you all got the ruddy book? As my dad says, Carl, Roddy is everywhere. Yeah, he's, he's everywhere. I was listening to him on the radio today. The papers, the radio. Honestly, he he is just, he's, he's a fictional character in his own mind. He It's just such, he is, he's an unbelievably good spoofer. He's unbelievable. Did you hear, he was talking about him as Car- a time at Carlisle. And they said, uh, obviously the the questions were pre-planned and they were like, how would you sum up your time at Carlo? He goes, well, uh, keeping them up was, keeping them up two years in a row, you know, that's what you wanted me to do and we got it done and I made them £800,000. <laughs> Fucking unbelievable. He's making up figures. Yeah, £800,000 he made them. I, uh, I only got the book today actually because I pre-ordered it off Amazon ages ago, like maybe half a year. Whenever the he first said writing the book probably ordered and I got an email from the other day saying well don't you saved two pounds by pre-ordering and I was like but I've gotten a week later than everybody else yeah literally yeah so keep your two pounds I'll wait for the PDF to come out legal streams on the phone (laughs) shame (laughs) shame Um, uh, yeah so that's the ruddy book prof have you gotten through it at all yet no, literally only got this morning. And Echoes some of our sentiments on the show that we did as well. He um, puts the boot in in a few places. Yeah, a couple of calls later on actually because um, the barman in the turn you're in had it propped up. Is your man that's stuck uh, on fast forward, isn't it? The one stuck on fast forward, Kieran, yeah. But uh, we we go on to, to Maldiger. Yeah, 3-0. Loss. Oh, that, the 3-0 the has promoted a yawn it's prompted a yawn in me yeah so I'm gonna skim this one Prof Green and Amaco up front Cavo in midfield Gaffney Bourne Watson and Bork all benched arrested you could say and three of those were introduced in the second half but Jack didn't feature at all and the priority debate Prof we spoke about this this was <coughs> your editorial was about mm-hmm. Um, I loved it I loved it and it takes a lot of common sense to and I think you need to step back away from yourself and not listen to every person that's given out about the problem and what they think what their opinion is, and just use your football and common sense. And mm. I think, uh, I think, I think you got a bang on in your in your editorial. 
Well, it, it's been it, we've been going around in circles in our WhatsApp group, and I've seen it. I've sort I've 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 um taken a quick look at Robert's chat, and I've seen some people. There's been some good old arguments in our own people leaving the group and all, and, and <laughs> added back in. But I think what's happening is um I don't know if I'm going to say anything particularly groundbreaking here in the next couple of minutes because you know you know the two arguments. It's like what's the point in getting to the group stage if we're just going to rest our best players? And then the other person says, but how are we going to get here again if we don't retain our league? Mm. And then the other person says, but why are we trying to get there if we rest our players? So you go in circles. But I think this, the key is the circumstances. This is a particularly tight schedule 100%. because of the winter road. That Cup. word is essential, Prof. Circumstances. 100% agree with you. And at this moment in time, this particular squad... These players, with the injuries we've had, and most of them have cleared up now, but we just don't seem capable or used to the Thursday-Sunday schedule mm. to put out strong teams twice a week right now. In an ideal world, all these people banging the drum about why we're not playing Jack Byrne and Rory Gaffney on the big stage. Theoretically, I agree with them. Yeah. But now, I don't. I don't either and I totally agree with you as regards to this and we have clashed about um, team selections before and who should get priority but realistically I think they they had to, they took a long hard look at themselves the football department and they just said okay Roy what is more important this week winning against Shells to retain the title or winning a few quid in Europe even though we're in the group stages and the priority and the goal has been achieved to qualify doesn't mean we're not Fobbing it off doesn't mean we're saying, oh, we don't win anymore. We are got priorities and that is how you become a good footballing coach and you have good people around you is being able to make that decision, mm. which is the priority. And Sunday was the priority, no doubt about it. We have a good squad. It's okay, fair enough, you can say it's a weakened team. But we, we had to take priority on Sunday and ultimately it proved right. Mm. I, I, I totally agree with you there. Oidemar went off with an ankle injury, um, which... It was sounding like it was going to reel him out for the rest of the season, but actually it wasn't as bad as feared. But mm. imagine that had been Rory who came off. Exactly. And I think poor old was sitting here listening now going, <laughs> fucking <laughs> delighted I'm injured. But um, yeah, I think the, they obviously looked at this Shells game as, like when we were losing 2-1, think back, as painful as it is, think back to the 80th minute when that score was 2-1 and we were all thinking the same thing for the first time this season, or since April when Derry won the league, it's now in Derry's hands. Yep. but we were, all, we were all thinking that. I will say, I was thinking in my head, I was thinking, we we can do it. I'm thinking that the pressure was relentless. From 80 minutes onward, it's brilliant watch. Watch it back. Mm. It was relentless. And I was thinking, we get one, we'll create another chance. Hatrick of chances and greeners and greeners. It did uh, look like it was coming. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. I just here, felt like it was it was happening. I just really did. I felt like it was happening. Um, well, just I think people get what we're t- we're saying. Yeah. A review of this game here against Molde is interwoven with the shells game. Mm-hmm. The team selection. It is. Yeah, it's very much so. <laughs> when when this final whistle went, and we were beating three 0 hammered really, not tonked, but. Because you comprehensive views. Yes. Because we were pinned back for the whole game. And I remember being really disappointed. I remember thinking the goals were so sloppy. Um, 
Goals were terrible. But when it went, I just thought, <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed. But as long as we win on Sunday, yeah, exactly. I was just thinking on to the big game now. That no, not it's. I'm not taking the piss out of the Conference League. It's brilliant and it's great mm-hmm. that we're in it. But once again, priorities. We need to be able to prioritise what's more important and mm. the Shells game is more important. And there will be two games at the end. Like, if us and Derry keep winning, we could potentially win against Derry. Mm. <sighs> Imagine. And then we have your guard in the last game. Or if we won it earlier, we'd have Gent at home. Yeah. And we can go all out. Mm. Um, so Mole manager Erling Moe was full of praise for our style of play so that's good Jack and Dan got a picture with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer over there did we actually talk about what we were trying to do with Ole I think we did mention it yeah we spoke about going from different no I don't think we actually named names <laughs> we won't name names but we talked to people that we know in the football industry about getting Ole on right because he's Mole the manager ex he's a big name and we are doing we're doing our best to try and get it we're even going down the rabbit hole as to say there was an Irish girl playing for Arsenal no Irish girl playing for Man United Solskjaer's daughter played for Man United we'll get someone who knows the Irish girl the Irish girl can give us Solskjaer's daughter's number <laughs> she can give us his number and then we'll have an interview well, funny enough you had John Devine on your list and I had interviewed him like the previous day yeah. and he spoke about working with Solskjaer but it just didn't uh, it didn't materialise but then I had sort of given up it. and then Jack and fucking Dan just turn up with a picture of him in mould I was like oh my that was like a God. knife in the heart I was just like oh no I'm done I'm done um, the pitch as well, Prof. Um, well, just first of all, the, the stadium, we weren't there ourselves, obviously, but um, people made a, had a few videos. Someone's recorded the players walking from the stadium to the hotel. Yeah. And it's literally 30 seconds, but there's actually a UEFA requirement that you have to get a team bus to every away game. They got a bus. No matter what. 30 seconds. So they all got on a bus it parked across the road and they got off the bus what I think that's yeah. similar to the Friends Arena the Friends Arena had a hotel right beside it and they stayed there but um, yeah it was quite the scenic route wasn't it, ah, it was you've gorgeous. all seen the pictures of the stadium from, from above but um, yeah the pitch was so plastic 4G pitch probably the best one you'd ever play on yeah. um, Norwegian's not messing about not we as heard as Stig telling us about the amount of hours that can play on it in our previous interview so yeah sure it's not like Derry yeah. or Oriel Park it's this different level altogether Modena um, 2.0 prof Probably, Modena. probably not quite. Um, I said the round against Shells was heavy, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but Shells was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> the white jersey without the sponsor looked amazing. Cracker of a jersey. Um, I think they have strict laws in Norway about gambling and advertising uh, sponsors. Because I remember writing an article about Bran playing Liverpool in nineteen ninety seven, and they always had Carlsberg on the shirt. Mm. But for oh, yeah. that game, they just had to have probably. Dot dot dot. <laughs> no way. On their front, oh, I like that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, like I said, I was in the town you were in for that one. Um, where did you watch? You said you were going to watch it in the car, was it? Where did I watch this? Yeah. I watched it while my daughter was training on the car, and then my other son had trained as well, so I caught it while I was watching them play football. Story of my life at the minute. Yeah, there was a couple of us in, in town you were. Uh, Mick McCarthy was there, and he pointed out that Roddy Collins. Buke launch was on at the same time, literally uh, during kickoff. In the Terranuri? Not in the Terranuri. Oh, same time. Just yeah. elsewhere. It's poor timing there, roster. And that quote I was talking about earlier was uh, Most of the 400 club lads I met were spoofers who knew nothing about football. Yeah, he seemed to have uh, touched on that on our show, are we? 
the backlash after that one, prof. As was pointed out, uh, he keeps saying Rovers are the benchmark. Can we please just remember that is a quote, not from the prof. <laughs> Don't attack him in there. Tr- you can't see it, but use their quotes. Yeah. But if Robert, he keeps saying Rovers are the benchmark that every club should look up to and model themselves off. But most of those spoofers have been involved in this success. Mm. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 95 tickets probably way in, prof. And uh, great crowd for considering it's in the middle of fucking nowhere and it costs 17 euro a pint. Yeah, people enjoying their 17 euro yeah. beers and their 39 euro beer and burgers. Oh, God. Um, great video, a couple of great videos. Um, on the plane over, the pilot asked them to sing a song. So they got Buttercup gone, and that bar, whatever it was, they were they were singing there as well. Apparently, two hundred Marine Technology students walked in, and uh, that livened the place up even more. Oh yes, certainly did. Yeah, looked like good cr- good crack. So we're going to the game itself, Prof. But in Hilton, sloppy, sloppy, disgusting goal. Yeah, just he, when it went in, I just thought, oh for fuck's sake! It was nine a, minutes. Like. It was a sharp finish, but it's just the way the ball ended up. At his feet. All three goals. I mean, the second, second and third, you could say, element of forcing too, or the way it drops for them. But uh, it just feels like we keep conceding stupid goals away from home. Yeah. And the timing of them, that's the worst part. There's always an early goal. Then there's an early second half goal. This was the worst. 49, Bryn Hilton again. It's just another one that's... It's just we switched off. We switched off and it was a shot rebound and it's just a, a scabby goal. You know what I mean? And like we're talking about <coughs> Brazzer and his, his team selections and um, priorities and all that. But he actually does have a plan for these players. Like we were one nil, we were one nil down at half time. Some <laughs> by some miracle. Because it should have been four nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man has pulled off um was that one on his left hand side where yes. he stretched that was a very good save uh, there was one later on as well great save so at this stage he manages to keep the score down I think I liked as well was the fact well, that Bradzer seems to have certain situations mapped out so if we go down 1-0 mm-hmm. if we go up 1-0 if we have a certain amount of possession then they change how they play like everything I tell you, they mm-hmm. think it out beyond belief it's just beyond belief but he came out and said after it, he said the plan was to keep it tight and then bring on Gaffney, whether he ever in- intended to bring on Jack, I don't know, but bring on Gaffney, Ferrugia. Uh, I doubt Jack was ever going to get a game on that pitch. Yeah. And then have a go. Like he, he, he literally used those words. And he used the words bigger picture, which I I was taken aback by. I thought that was kind of more of a behind closed doors sort yeah, of phrase. Yeah. Refreshing though. Refreshing the Yeah. But that was the plan. But then, when you when you concede five minutes into the second half, like we did here, like we did in Hungary, like we did most games away, second it happened, that just goes game over. It's like, so when you're, we, you have to understand, Prof, as well. This is a massive learning curve this year, huge. It's a big, big learning curve. We know what level we're at now after this European campaign, and we need to be able to progress to the next level now. Address what um, gaps we have in the in the squad see what we need to do as regards to getting better and getting to the level any somewhat near the level of the people that we actually the teams just played this is a learning curve stop thinking that fair enough 
50 salt line people looking seven and eight points. I was probably one mm. of them. I was excited. Yeah. But we know what level we're at now. That was um, shortly after Scooby though. Yeah, we it's were something all to positive. aim towards yeah. though, isn't it? To look at those yeah. levels and say, right, we can go to that. <laughs> this team are 15 points ahead of Bodo Glimps who have had very impressive results in Europe. Yes. This is a good team. Um, um, Dunn and on 58, Prof Hussein. Done. Adios, game Yeah, um, like I said, we were, we were pinned back for such a long period. Like, the first half hour, I think, was the first time the camera even went to their half yeah. on the pitch and we could see the stand. Our first shot on target was Gaffney when he came on. Hit the side then. So... We were sitting so deep. They were particularly targeting their left side, weren't they, in this game, as yep. I recall. Um, Gaffney and Freud definitely improved their sort of attacking intent when they came on. Um, but but, all but it was just a kidder. The less, second goal was yeah, a kidder. Yeah, second goal, then Tord grit it off, and it was just a training exercise from there on in. And I think the 90 minutes went, I think a really, really big positive was Pico coming back. Delighted to yeah. see him. We'll talk about him with the Shells game soon. But that was it. Everybody got home safe, as far as I know. No damn Fulhams. And John Connolly had a great quote. He says, can he can't even afford to join your sorrows. Yeah. And we have Media Watch. Virgin. Damn McDonald prop. Media Watch, another new addition to the show. Virgin Media had no pundits for our game, but Yenuri on the main channel had the full whack. Yenuri. Uh, which do- damn- doesn't surprise me. It's kind of <sighs> it's expected. expected. Um, Bring back Garts. Gartsy. Kind of mad that at this stage we're still only three points off qualification. If you look at the group... You think we're like that? <laughs> so, and we've two home games to go. Obviously, I'm not saying we're going to get out of the group, but just you hear the here for us. Prof says we'll qualify. It's just funny how we've all written off the group, and like we're all three teams are in the same position. Um, attendance there was three thousand six hundred. Jesus, which was brutal. That's shocking, man. That's UCD stuff. That's really bad, isn't it? They and their their regular attendance is like just above mm. five. And these guys are knocking it out of the park as regards to football and eleven thousand capacity. I think is it? <sighs> it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Dan McDonald article: A weakened team and a TV snub. League focus is turning hoops European run into an anti-climax. The stark facts for Shamrock Rovers are that their four away European games against higher-ranked opposition this year. The aggregate score is thirteen nil, and there's nothing unlucky about that number. Ludogorets, Fedish Vados, Ghent, and now Mould. They are different stories behind each one, and yet the bottom line remains the same. Adopting a more defensive approach in Norway didn't make life any easier. Stephen Bradley side, so it was Dan McDonald. Is this the first time we've had a, a defensive approach away from home in Europe? Uh, because, I, it, I think it is, yeah. Because I remember people calling for this, especially after Flora last year. We thought we need to play a different way away from home. But it's the types of goals that are killing us. Like, if Gaffney and Jack had been on the pitch there, would it have mattered? When we can I see goals, would have made a difference. When we can see goals like that. I think Jack is known for his defensive ability, so... Mm. Um, yeah, we'll move on, Prof. It's done, it's dusted. We're going to try and get out of the group somehow. But it will go on to the probably one of the most mental games ever in Tallaght. was 3-2 win over Shells on Sunday. And um, absolute mayhem. Absolute mayhem, brilliant stuff. An insane game of football. The very, very entertaining though. I thought from like I said, watch from eighty onwards and just look at the intensity that we showed. For a game on so R- good. for a game on RTE with wind and rain. Like on one on TV. It should not be a good game. It should be Is awesome. this our first win on TV? Remember we didn't we hadn't won remember we were always um, saying that whenever we watched RTE or anyone anyone ever watched us on RTE yeah. they thought Rose are shite, they always lose. I think Hibbs three 0 is about the only exception. Yeah. Other than that we tend to so they tend to show our away games, don't they? Yeah, 
and when we wear the black jersey. So yeah, big one on the team. Four players rested. Norway came back into the eleven. So a very very strong starting eleven with Bork, Bourne, Gaffney. Solid solid starting eleven. I know he felt he got it nailed on. The build up prop with the wind and the rain and everything uh, did put a dampener on it. But I was buzzing yeah. for this game all week. Buzzing for it all week. The North Stand is uh, really taking shape. Um, it's really sprouted up, hasn't it? The foundations and. Um, it looks much bigger. Well, mush, maybe that's not the right word, but it's bigger than the Southstand. It's scarily steeper, isn't it? I'm looking forward to getting into it. I want to go over and see what it's like having a little go with the away fans, you know, seeing what the atmosphere is like mm. if we all went in, see what it was like anyway. I thought it was kind of a coincidence that we were shooting, we normally shoot into the Southstand second half. In this case, we were shooting into the North Stand, which had the most development it's had in a couple of months. Yeah. All we all win related though I'd imagine was was that was that a reason for that? Yeah, so the the Glenmalure suite was open a bit livelier than normal actually. I tend to get there about an hour beforehand and there's like six six lads in there. But um in this case it was actually let's go crack. The Ireland draw had just been made only like a half an hour earlier or something and everyone was saying the same thing. Well, that's Stephen Kenny gone anyway. That's him, yeah, that's him gone now there, um, that up. It's mad that we've never played Greece in a competitive match. That's oh, right. an incredible stat. Okay, I'm going to say something that just popped into my head and you're probably going to kill me for it. Mm-hmm. But, after Stephen Kenny's exploits as Dundalk, manager. Oh boy. You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. I don't want him back here. If Stephen Kenny gets sacked, Brad's is a candidate. I don't think he is. Because if you look at history... Every leagues. time we go League of Ireland, we go a different route the next time. True, but he is a candidate. Two leagues and a cup. He's a candidate for the, for the group stages. He's a candidate for the person who follows Stephen Kenny. Yeah, that's yeah, how far yeah, away it so. is. I think. Um, I had Con Murphy <clears throat> beside me in fan mode. Good old Con, because um, the last two get home games. So we're talking. Will be on RTE. Uh, <clears throat> filthy mounted Con. Cursing Khan. Oh, he's cussing. Oh, he's cussing. Cussing yeah. Khan. Yeah, the last two games, Pats and Derry being RTE, so him and Khan have hung up their uh, their headsets. They've been brilliant as well, haven't they? Season. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely um, adored our coverage, and I find myself watching <laughs> it back as well, and just thinking, they're as professional as I, I am, they're, they're so professional. As unprofessional as I am, sorry. As unprofessional <laughs> as I am. They're, they're, they just hold the torch, you know what I mean? Yeah, so like we say, more wind than rain here. Um relentless rain and waves blankets you could say <laughs> blankets the, the last five minutes it was one of those it was like a swarm of birds wasn't it it was just like <laughs> crash down um, so when I remember talking to people beforehand we are talking about the crowd we are thinking oh so much against us here Sunday the kickoff time Arsenal Liverpool are on the weather and yeah it was a the crowd was about what I expected mm-hmm. but I can see people looking back at this game years from now and saying, fuck. Yeah. Why didn't I go that? Definitely, yeah. That was actually a hotline question, wasn't it, recently? Games you regret not going to. 100% filling everyone's hotline from, from the next 10 years. Yep. So, yeah, like we said, RT Media watched Boy <laughs> McKenna. 
He's playing RT. Bingo. European hangover. Bourne. So much ability. Lions. Seaside. Cannon. <laughs> Experience. Ferrugia. Injuries. Absolute spoofers. I must say, I really enjoy Brian McKenna's posts in that uh, last man standing, Jack. Yeah, he always comes out with some good. A few sherry's um, on him now because he's in the, he was thinking he was by the pool there with a with well, sangria. Well, he's having to go at Adrian Ames there. But in fairness to Adrian Ames, I'm glad it was him on commentary because... Like I say, we're going to look back at this moment. For, like, how many times have you watched back that winner? Hmm. Loads of times because I thought it bent time and space once again. And the commentary helps, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm glad it was so, him yeah. because he actually gave a damn and he he put some enthusiasm in. But even well, we'll talk imagine there been someone shy. No, yeah, someone who didn't really give a rat's. <laughs> um, uh, we had two birthdays. We had Meryl and we had Paddy Donahue, who was eighty years following. Eighty years following the hoops and Meryl. Good old who? I think that's Dunster's dad, isn't it? Podcaster friends. Oh, it could be, could be, yeah. I think it is because he told me recently that he's challenging uh, Joe Barnes Ooh. as the <coughs> the longest fighting Robbers fan. Blue collar boxing. Um, yeah, so we move on to the game anyway, and a a, a terrible start. Let's be honest. Um, Fourteen minutes in, Farrell gets a flick on, which was debatedly I pass it. I think it was offside. Even Sean Boyd thought it was offside. He kind of puts hand up as if to say. Oh, Cleary actually stopped and hope, yeah. hoped for an offside. This fella's uh, a good player. Um, wouldn't mind seeing him in the hoops. He'd be a good option to have up front. Lively, little live wire. Came in and lovely finish. He kind of he hit it on his left. He nearly fell over. Um, really good finish. Yeah, it was. And the whole stadium was in shock, really, because we just don't go behind at home, do we? It no, doesn't happen. Not at all, yeah. And I had, I had the stat last time was Sligo in March when we were 2-0 down. And we clawed back to two all, and even every away game since then, we've fallen behind. Never got any result. So this was a test, and the fact that we went behind twice, huge test, huge test. Bro. Um, we were fighting the wind the first half, weren't we? So, um, that was tactical to play into it in the second half, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know the way the corner flag is is flapping and swaying, touching the ground. Yeah. So Jack is there trying to do, trying to take his corner. He's trying, he's waiting to do with the body box shuffle and all that. And uh, the corner just flag just won't stay up. And uh, Finner offers his assistance. So he tries to hold it, but then the linesman says, "No, you're not allowed to do that." What? But then the linesman won't hold it either. And the two of them are like, "Will someone fucking hold the flag?" Jack Bourne versus the wind. <laughs> uh, Twenty-seven prop the D twelve Drago, as he's called. Um, Who's called that? <laughs> Ricky Keegan's obsessed with him Ricky Keegan is obsessed with him so he calls him the D12 Ivan Drago um, some sign well what a sign and what a ball in and this is what we've needed from <laughs> set pieces is we've had no real threat recently and uh, Dan Cleary D12 hotbed of talent another super leap. nods one home and then a absolute <clears throat> hammer blow worst time to concede best time to score one I felt like we were we were finding a bit of rhythm there for about five, six minutes before the break. Now and I saw, then out of nowhere, this I goal. I saw Watts get a bit of grief over this in this goal. Now, he was a bit lax, but, I mean, this is a great ball in from Coyne. And a super finish from Farrell. On the bounce, forced time, into the bottom corner. It's a really, really tough approach it's to an unreal finish it's just some, something else like, it's Un- a hard unstoppable hard control, ball to control never mind strike force three keepers wouldn't say yeah, that no brilliant brilliant goal but I just felt like it just came out of absolutely nowhere when it happened um, I just you know you sink you're just like oh. 
Yeah, this is like one man into in, injury time. Yeah, and last kick the at this last stage, I was already thinking about the unbeaten home record. I'm thinking, shells, shells, are yeah. shells gonna end this after <laughs> 14 months? But the subs at half time, I was like, what? Um, Pico and Hor coming over Grace and Gannon, and I just thought, uh, I think Maloney made me laugh. He was like, Operation, let's get corners. <laughs> We're here to get corners, and he was right. And our next goal was by a defender again, but yeah. um, a lot of good build up though. Well, we... let's talk about Pico first, actually. Pico coming back. How into the good fight. was Pico? Just it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? The last dish tackles, the commitment. There was one after the 80th minute, and it was on the halfway line, and it broke <laughs> perfectly for a 50-50. Oh, I remember. And I this. just thought, oh, oh, <laughs> Pico's got the pace, and he just <laughs> fucking clattered him, and they're like, yeah, just celebrating like a goal. You're like, yes. That was, aside from the Gaffney goal, that was my favourite moment of the game. It's just That's brilliant. 50-50. And do you know what? I was not terrified, but I was so weary of putting him back in because I love Pico and my team. He's one of the first names on the team sheet. I was thinking, is it going to it's gonna disrupt this? Is it going to disrupt it? Do you know Looking what I mean? back now, I feel silly for doubting him. Like, we never doubted him. We just, just had good replacements. Do you know what I mean? No, no. Well, people have been coming out with nonsense saying Pico will struggle to back, get back into this team. I always thought that was stupid. Mm. But what I, what I meant was could be rushing back into the 11 yeah yeah, true but, true but watching that ah he was brilliant he's, he's ready, brilliant. He's ready. total but, um, faith in the football department when it comes to that but um, yeah I liked what you said the other day that our last 10 minutes we were it was relentless pressure <sighs> it was brilliant it really was brilliant there was just piles upon piles of pressure it was class and then uh, we had a ball whipped in I think Greener got the header keeper buzzed kind of poor again everyone <sighs> People giving out but Greener. He's involved in this goal. He gets into the position. He should have had four goals. Oh, he, we'll talk about that in a moment. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Although, we, no, not in the highlights package, uh, conveniently. Yeah, but, um, clearly, <laughs> absolutely wellies this in. This yeah. is the one that you do after the goal goes in, isn't it? Someone yeah. scores and you just go, you're the kick and put it back. And you just always do that when we were playing. Yeah. yeah. You always just wallop it back into the net. You were doing school as well. I think that was your thing in school. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was at that. You'd always wallop it in after a goal. So Funny story with that, actually. I remember a goal in PE. Uh, it early days of school. So I, I kept doing that thing where I kicked it back in. But I didn't realise that the goal hadn't been given. I thought it just went in off the post. Because this is only like a cone on the wall, that sort of thing. So I just kicked it in thinking I'm doing my thing. And then I heard later and I actually scored. The other person hit the corner of the post and I scored the rebound. Delayed reaction for the prof. Pippo Inzaghi. That's what they called it. So if my tradition had been just to boot out for a throw-in <laughs> it would have been an open goal miss. <laughs> so prof was born offside. Yeah. Um, yeah so absolutely walloped in and grabbed the ball get up and take tip fucking get on you're all you're giving it the big one um, yeah this gave everyone the, like the crowd um, and we'll talk about the ultras in a minute the, crowd, the ultras never stopped ultras are but, on top of their game today fair play but, to um, the boys they deserve a big show out but in general I'm talking about like the three stands when this goal went in it gave everyone the lift and we thought right game on this is happening we can do this now this is happening, yeah. And Duffer subs, we need to mention this. Because um, <laughs> I remember at 2-1, or I can't remember exactly what minute car came on. But I just remember thinking, oh my God, a Shea's going to end their unbeaten run with Dan Carr and Sean Boyd. 
But then Carr comes on for Boyd, I think it was. Uh, obviously, Duffer is, is worried that Boyd will get sent off yeah. and be missing the, the Cup semi-final because he got his obligatory uh, yellow card. And Carr comes on and he's so lazy. And just read the comments online. Some people call him the laziest player they've ever seen for shells. I think, I'm nearly sure he uh, was giving out to the ref afterwards saying something like, you're corrupt and all. I was like, ooh, <laughs> you shouldn't go down that road, mate. Yeah. Shouldn't go down that road. But, um... Even like the Duffer subs, every every little thing played a little part in this winning goal. Yeah, it really did. It all fell into place. But Greener's chances, he had a header, a free header, should have hit the target. Really, really should have. Could have had a hat trick. Yeah, and then he had another one where he just broke to him on the left, and it was a one on one, little bit, little bit slightly dragged wide. Goes just just goes wide the post. I was just thinking, oh for fuck's sake! And you're he's, thinking that's it. You're not getting into the chance. Like those are the chances when you say. That was the that was the one. You're that not, was three. You're not thinking you're going to get a ninety fifth minute chance after missing a hat trick of chances. So you're thinking that's it then, mm. and you're kind of thinking, I suppose the point. Nuts, but like I said, it came prof a Jack Corner with a body box shuffle. We need to get the the Titanic music on. So <laughs> the, the it just it gets floated in a little nick, and then I'm thinking to myself, don't, don't do it. You're out on the far side of the box with your left foot don't fucking volley that as you said the neck the fucking neck of him to even attempt it and it was like a side footed top of the laces volley and then when I was watching the back I was like how what happened because it looked like it hit a defender but the ball went the other way and I was like this doesn't make sense physics isn't the, isn't working I had no idea how this went in hit the off net. the post got a slight yeah. flick off him in and then absolute bedlam mayhem carnage in Tala Stadium people falling down steps people not being able to take their jackets off thinking they had no jacket on trying to take their top off Aaron Dunn doing a reverse rocky running down the steps absolute bedlam fall like crushed bones the whole lot pandemonium everywhere nuts like initially I was I was going mad but then I was kind of like then I just sort of I was in shock and I just started taking in everything around me I was just looking at the three stands I was looking down the dugout the players ran on the pitch it was a uh, moment, wasn't it? Chris McCann tried the German suplex Rory for some <laughs> yeah. reason. Rory told him to fuck off. I think it's one of those situations <laughs> where you could say a turning point in the season, but we look back on it. Like, we always have a moment that we look back on oh, and we yes. go, that was the one. We um, will look back on this at the end of the season. We'll look back on this years from now. This was a major moment. Brilliant scenes and after the every, final whistle. Every time well, I watch this clip, I get <sighs> goosebumps. Deadly. Because brilliant. I think it's up there with the best... Uh, goal celebrations if you think of the great ones they're like UCD and Twig 2-1 against Balls and all that but just something about this was just nuts Absolutely, one man. of the great moments in Tada um, 10 year old Kira Smith captured it really well on her phone mm. usually we sucked the ball into the south stand we um, blew the ball into the north end yeah and as someone said the fine margins because it was a clerk the keeper gets a a little fingertip to this off the inside of the post and it takes the clip I think takes it off the defender's head as well <laughs> so it all worked out oh man it all and worked I, out and I just see Jim Conroy afterwards and the first thing he says he goes Carl Ronnie Nolan 1956 fuck off he's, comp- he's comparing it to the <laughs> the iconic cup final comeback when we were two down I think we were two one down at, with ten minutes to go 
And, I love how he thought that at that moment. Ronnie Nolan scored in the last minute to win the game. Insane scenes, but that was it. And like I said, hopefully it's a turning point, bro. The only human standing still during that mad 20, 30 seconds was Damien Duff. It's great, wasn't it? Pissing rain down on him. In his head, he's just going mad. Passive aggressiveness, bulging out. Is that what feel? And the memes, girl. All the memes were made. Delighted. Everybody taking the piss out of him. Yeah, don't start. Big up the ultras tonight as well. Unreal support and everything else around them seems to be collapsing around their ears. So brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Uh, compl- people complain about the time added on? No. Not gonna, not gonna entertain that. That was a uh, match fixing. Match, match fixing. Yeah, like literally, Rob Harvey. You're forgetting who was refing. Rob Harvey. Rob Harvey. Robert Harvey. Duffer, Duffer in his post match, he goes, "Oh, it was 96 and a half minutes rather than the 94." That was. You know, he played. made a sub he and said, there was time wasting during. <laughs> he said it wasn't even the corner. Uh, he did not. Did he say those words? I, I don't know if he literally said those words, but he basically said it. Yeah, and he was get a scowl at the end of the interview. But as you say, Gary, uh don't make a sub in the 92nd minute and then have that sub take his sweet time. Yeah. How about yeah. that? <laughs> uh, how does a player with 100 caps for Ireland still not understand the concept of minimum added time? Because he's a bitter little man. A bitter little winger. And the home form is great seeing it on paper. 22 home league games, 19 wins, 3 draws. That is unbelievable, isn't it? Incredible. It'd be great to go and complete a, uh, an invincible home run. And I don't always go on tw- Twitter post match for very long. But this is one of those where it's like, right, I want to, I want to take all this in. <laughs> and one or two people actually moaning. Delete post match. Delete them and stone them to death. Garrett, if your first instinct after that moment is to go on Twitter, football's not for you. And complain about how we played. Just find a new hobby. Yeah, find a new hobby. Exit Tallis Stadium, please. Now, um, we had the, the huddle in front of the sales team oh, with the yes. players. That was, that was great. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, imagine imagine you're a Derry fan. Because that, that was an RD, so I imagine a lot of them tuned in. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I actually thought about that when I went in. After about 10 minutes, I was like, how oh, sick do Derry fans <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, Shells posted Rob on Twitter full time, then their social media admin apologised. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking easy. Is, is this everything wrong with modern football now? Uh, social min apologies. Brilliant. And, uh, brilliant, hilarious stuff. This fella has form as well. Because remember um, the Pats and Sligo? Oh, yeah, yeah. Game. It was only recently as well. Uh, oh, sorry, the Pats and Shelburne game. And he goes, the original fixture, which St. Pat's failed to fulfil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the little dig. Yeah. Uh, Derry, prof. We're going on to Derry after that madness and epic win in Tallis Stadium. Derry with Beef Harps 3-0, okay? We knew that. We knew that was coming. Bowles Dundalk were both beaten by 90-minute goals at home. Tadrada and uh, St. Pat's respectively. I'm nearly sure Dale Rooney's a Bowles man. He's from Ballymun and he got the goal for Tadrada against Bowles. We've um, Pat's... Uh, yeah so there's one point in the race for Tord now so it's hot enough prof the Tord place play our place is hotting up and the last round of fixtures have all been moved to Sunday including us away to UCD so into the bar prof we have plans for that we have plans for that so stay tuned to keep your day free you might end up in the home of football aka Dublin Four Rings End so keep uh, your eyes and ears peeled for that one 
Uh, Derry playing their cup semi-final next weekend, so a chance to go eight points clear, and that is a very, very exciting prospect, Prof. And like I said, if we were to both keep winning, we could potentially win it against Derry at home mm. uh, October Sunday, October 30th. Ooh. And as luck would have it, the next day is a bank holiday. Oy. So normally you have to call in sick. I'm not saying we're going to win the league that day, but I'm saying if, if it all happens, normally like you have to call in sick and all that stuff. Or get the day off somehow. Yeah. How how sweet would that be? <sighs> Unbelievable. Um, we're going to have the Harry Hill music on now. It's the Bulls job saga. Alan Reynolds turned it down. Richard Dunn dropped out of the race. And now Ian Ryan, manager of Wexford, <laughs> uh, pulled out of the frustrations with the process. Great uh, talking to her. Asked for a company car and Bowers offered him a leave card and a skewer. Um, if they didn't, if they they probably should stop doing the interviews in Lambert's sitting room. Maybe that isn't too professional. Well, yeah, some um, some make a good point actually. This is the first time Lambert has had to do anything like this. What do you think about it? Yeah, yeah, I don't really know if he's involved. He, his name gets <laughs> mentioned. He's a COO. He organizes events. I don't okay, even know that's his fair. Name. We don't. Actually no, no, know. I don't even know if, well, if he's involved. Okay, let me just say that. Let me rephrase. Well, let's say he is because <laughs> this ball is bored. I've had Keith Long in charge for seven years. This is the first time. I don't know how many of them have changed over time. This is a major decision. Yeah, that huge. you can't get wrong because it's a big restructuring as well. Because they're actually going to yeah. daytime training as well. So full-time. I wonder how they feel the pressure. Hundred percent. And um, <clears throat> like to have a manager in the process feel like you're delaying on your decision, and then he walks away. I know. Yeah. But you know what would be interesting though? I think they should let their members choose the manager like they did with our allocation for tickets. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that would work. That's the way to do it, right? Um, give it to uh, Sean Deutsch. Rest of the season. Oh, nice. Do a job. Uh, Cork away day is back. Proper away day, prof. Down. Burst a load of nerdies. <coughs> um, yeah, interested in that one. Love Cork away. But we're fucked again because now we can't get another bus company. We convinced one to take us. And that got smashed up as Lego, so they don't do football trips anymore. So anybody with a bus, please, even if you have for sale, something that we can all go fund me with, we can put a few quid together. But let's clarify this, this wasn't our bus, it no. was the Gary Twig Supporters Club bus, who, they had their window smashed by Sligo Scrotes. Sligo Scrotes. Are ye shams? Are ye shams? So because some Sligo Scrotes have thrown a rock at our window of our bus... Nolans have put a blanket ban on all Rovers fans. Yeah, football trips, football trips. So, it's not just Rovers. Yeah, football trips. So, yeah, we're fucked again. Anybody else knows us, please. Please get in touch. Um, yeah, we'll go with our under-19s, Prof. Cork. 2-0 away win. Brilliant win. Mikey Letty and Mikey Raggett. 19s. 2-0 away win. Um, we have the under-17s. 1-0 loss away to Treaty, unfortunately. And we have the 15s National League. 3-0 away win. Darren Marshall, Richard Voto and Ike Orazi. Nabbing the goals. 14s National League. Prof, 3-0 win at home to Sligo. They play balls in the semi. And we've the ladies under nine, under 17s. Rovers, A. A tonking, Prof. Brain ill. Double tonking. Anna Dignam. Hattrick. Laura McCabe. Of the McCabe fame. Famous football and family in Tala. One goal. Inwa, Kishani, two goals, a brace, and Robin Gleeson. Shut up laughing, prof. I love that I've brought back the goal scorers. And uh, a brace for uh, Robin Gleeson as well. So, Cully yeah, O'Neill yeah. has been appointed as the women's manager for the 2023 season. And Rovers enter a senior ladies' team. And I'm going to yeah. call it now. We'll win that. A couple of more notes there. Yeah, but the second leg against uh, AZ Alkmaar was 1 all. I 
I don't think we, that had happened yet when we recorded last week. Um, great goal by Michael Leddy in Talib, obviously uh, heavy defeat in aggregate. And Mero gave a talk to transition year students at Rollstone this morning. Uh, I'm sure he kept telling them how it was his birthday on Sunday because hey. he certainly never mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, so um, yeah. And Ireland qualified for Women's 2023 World Cup and covered in um, controversy at the minute because. Has anyone all, talked about them qualifying they're, yet? They're all in the ra. I just. There's <laughs> not much you could say in it. And you know what? There was a sickening thing where your man spoke real solemnly and slow on. Sky Sports is like, oh, well, do you want slimy to apologise? Are you embarrassed by it? Oh, fucking ridiculous, man. Do you? Shouldn't have pandered to them. Shouldn't have just said, uh, do you know what? Fuck I, is. I can't believe we're trotting out a player to do that. Poor girl probably had Patronising interview. They probably no idea. It's just a catchy song, for fuck's sake. No, apparently she's very, she's good in, she does a lot of poetry. So she's experienced. And she, no. she handled it quite well. Actually. Yeah, no, she did well. But, and we all know what this is. They're sponsored by Sky. Uh, what's the phrase? Pay the piper. Pay yeah, the piper, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. That's what it is at the end of the day, isn't it? That's all. But, bit of lip service and that's it. But, my God. Sky. Mm. After poppies. After weeks of monarchies and funerals. They fucking wheel this one out. Seriously. It's ridiculous. Yes, so Prof, up next we have starting 11s. Predictions. <laughs> This is this is a very hard one. Um Meldy. Oh, same as me. Same I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna go Manus. I'm gonna go Grace Grace and Gannon. Grace Gannon Hoare, right? I'm gonna go Grace Gannon Hoare. Okay? You listen to me? I'm going Grace Gannon Hoare. I'm gonna go Cavo and Finn, left and right. I'm going to go McCann in the middle with Gary O'Neill. You almost need to pick your draw the team first, don't you? Oh, I think I will. I'm going to pick draw the first. Okay, right. I'm going to pick draw the first. I'm going to go Madison Goal. I'm going to go Cleary, Hoare and Gannon. No, Pico. I, I think it's a little bit early again to throw me in because the, the, the lads have been brilliant. Pico, Hoare or Cleary has been undroppable at the minute. Hoare has been brilliant and I think Gannon has been our standout performer. So it's not I'm, against Pigo. I'm going Pigo clearly. I was gonna, I'm going to play Pigo against Mould. Right. Right? So I'm only going to do a draw of the team, actually. I'm not doing a ball. I'm not doing a Mould. <laughs> um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go pace on the wings. Out here, I think we need to stretch as much as possible. I'm going to go Ferrugia on the left. I'm going to go Lyons on the right. O'Neill and McCann in the middle. And Bork, Gaff, Bourne. That's how I'm going to go. Pace and beautiful creativity up top with retention in the middle from McCann and O'Neill and goal threats at the back from Cleary. That's how I'm going to work it. And I'm going to go yeah. 2-0, one in each half. You have the same team except I want Pigo and Drogheda. Other than that, I've got the same... Uh... It's nothing against Pigo. I just think he'll... I don't know. I don't actually not too sure of my reason for dropping him. I just think I like the look of that. In um, it's not even being dropped. It's just, you know what I mean. It's not. It's not. It's not being dropped. But he's not being dropped because he hasn't started in months, so technically he can't be dropped. Um. So for Mold, um, yeah. So I'm gonna go one all yeah, draw. So Mold featured the likes of who were not playing draw. Yeah. 
um, Finn, Watts, the likes of those. Uh, midfield is Tell back yet? Tell he's uh, on his way, isn't he? Uh, who else we got? Simon Power is still uh, a sometime way. Whether he'll feature in Europe, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Will Victor feature in Europe? Unlikely. I do it. Uh, who else? Greener. I suppose Greener up front. I, w- I don't want to start Greener and Idemo together, to be honest. Ever again. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't see this as a viable partnership. No, I don't think so. What's your prediction for Moldy? I'm going to go one all. Yeah, I think. Our home record is excellent. Yeah, yeah. Now, if he sta- if I think he is going to play a stronger team, though. He will, yeah, because he's he's getting used to it, like do you know what I mean. But I'm gonna go strong team, draw the strong enough team towards the or against Mould. But I uh, mean, if he started Greener and Noidemo, and no Jack and no Gaffney and no Burke, then I'm thinking I'm not as confident. Yeah, but I think he is gonna play a stronger team, and our, our home record. Jack is has, gonna play at home. Trust me on that. Mould against Mould. Yeah, our home record has been excellent, and uh, we were quite unfortunate not to. To actually beat your garden, mm. so yeah, I, I, I'm gonna say one all as well. And draw it away. I'm gonna say a two-one win. Oh, what the prof? And um, we did an interview piece with Bradson McPhail and Finn as well. It was very good. It was go eight nine minutes long. Check it out. Social media is very very good. I actually enjoy watching it because for the documentary, which don't ask me about, please, because it's been delayed. It was documentary prof. But uh, <laughs> uh, we also filmed Bradson in that office, so. I quite liked studying like their angles and all. I was like, "Oh, that's how they put the camera there." And, ah, uh, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. picking up a few tips. It was already done, so. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. Um, so we're looking for our first goal in this group. Um, only us and uh, Jelgris, I know the Lithuanian club. Mm-hmm. Only us two have yet to score a goal in the group stage, so we need to do away with that record. The wooden spoon. We don't want that. And your garden actually won again. Against Ghent, um, so they could be on the way to win this group. Yes. The ways, and imagine they put out a reserve side oh. in Stockholm because it looks like their title race has gone down to the wire. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah. So, so who's in? You, you mentioned their art. Um, you mentioned my editorial there. So good, Gar, that is being reprinted this week uh, against Mal. Oh, sorry, no. That's actually Jason Maloney's article. He's written a near identical article about priorities. Fucking plagiarism. No, in fairness to him, he didn't see it in time because the shells and Molde programs were so close together. Was he sitting near you so, at the shells game? But if you want to use the phrase "great minds think alike," or is that is that too egotistical? Or but, he's a thieving. <laughs> but uh, they they are strikingly similar. It's funny how we were thinking along the same lines. Yeah, so get you our hoop scene coming up <laughs> soon, prof. Five euro, best five euro ever spend. Get you our euro merch from the shop. Yeah, you our euro merch. Um, yeah, so we like we said, draw it away Sunday, prof. Big one. No Nolan's buses because we are fucked when it comes to buses. I'm done with it. Um, we don't race. Posted this on Facebook about Rings End. Tell myself and Darrett and McDarrett are giving a talk in the stadium this Sunday about some of the great players and stories from the club's history. It's at twelve p.m. So, an ideal opportunity to hear about the 1950s before travelling to United Park to experience it first. <laughs> it's free to attend. All you have to do is click this link and write your name down. It's almost foolish 
How easy they've made it. Come along and ask us problem questions like, were you really both so scared to ring Pat Scully that you flipped the coin? <laughs> Why did you accidentally list Alan Manis as a Republic of Ireland International on page 165? And is there a clinical term for two middle-aged men who have both written books about two Shamrock Rovers? What uh, a clinical term. <laughs> we come up with something. Uh, critics are already calling this probably one of the top three or four events related to League of Ireland history taking place in the general W24 region next Sunday at 12pm <laughs> you damn fools will miss it oh. <laughs> fuck's sake brilliant brilliant from the lads um, and then the tone is coming right back down prop. Um, or you could say it's going back up but we have a fantastic memorial here for Hoops legend Tony Eustace so we have a gang of fans and fan, uh, friends and family having a chat about him Hi, uh, Jerry Blacken here. Just to say a few words about uh, Tony Eustace. I'll keep it brief, as I'm sure my brothers, um, Joe and Mick Lacken will cover more and talk better of uh, Tony, the true Hooper. Um, it was actually true, those two brothers of mine, that I first met Tony way back in the mid-70s. And then through Tony, I uh, met his brothers, Billy, God rest him, James and Michael, all lovers' heads. And then also Tony's three sisters, Catherine, God bless her, Anne and Mary. And little did I know then that uh, Tony and I would become related as I married Mary. And in so doing, um, cemented, formalised, if you like, the family triumvirate, the uh, unholy trinity of uh, Black and Eustace and uh, Janukis. We're all in there together and all strong over families. So, uh, yeah, it all started with Tony. Um, Tony was a, a, a Rovers man through and through. He loved his music, and then that was similar to Big Deck, with both being uh, big into Elvis Presley and uh, somewhat bizarrely, um, Boyzone. Indeed, uh, yeah, many of the time, the, uh, the pair of them, Deck and Tony, would bang out a rendition of Let the Reason Be Love or some such thing. But, um, yeah. There you go. Um, Tony was a, a barman by trade and a good barman he was too, be it in the sheds in Clontar for in the cabinets. And uh, very dedicated to, to work he was. And uh, many's an occasion actually, or family gig, that he'd uh, miss out on, courtesy of work, such was his uh, dedication. And yet, strangely enough perhaps, um, He'd uh, shuffle or change or arrange or rearrange his shift or his breaks or whatever to, uh, to make sure he got to evolve his games. And I was good at doing that and, and get there he would one way or another, uh, very often by taxi, you know, being, being bouncing around Dublin by, by taxi all over the place, be it into car or wherever the days it was anyway, Talca, Belfield, whatever. Um, I'm surprised actually Taxi Federation didn't have a, a special line for him to ring at one stage. It was, he was so taxi, taxi bound, match bound by taxi all the time, and uh, I even remember him getting a taxi up at least once to Drada, getting a taxi up there with him, and um, oh yeah, a couple of times actually, and I think he also did a to got a taxi up to Dundalk once just to see the Rovers. Anyway, I know it was it was older brother Billy that Tony got um, going regular to to Milltown uh, as a, a kid, and then in turn he with Billy started bringing uh, the younger brothers uh, James and Michael. All the time the Glacken contingent was going too with Joe and Mick and myself and Paul all there with the Eustaces and as I said, with Tony's sister Anne with Marion Janaki and myself with Mary the 
the hoops unholy trinity was uh, cemented and very much with tony in the middle of it it's uh it's all it's all kind of uh, very indicative of robert's really you know a big extended family made up of hoops families you know the uses as conroys cairns whatever and at this stage it's all moved down to next generation other generations and Tony's own family is indicative of that, with himself and Sheila having taken his sons, Alan and Matthew, with them to the, the games once the lads were old enough to be carried, walked, dragged, brought, whatever. Uh, yeah, and actually on, on mentioning uh, Alan there, Tony's son Alan, uh, he was named after Rover's great Alan O'Neill, uh, another favourite that Tony and Big Dick had in common. And as for son number two, I'm sure, matches a headbanger with the ultras these days, you know. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, look, a very brief couple of points of Tony Eustace, whose legacy includes the ongoing support of Rovers through Sheila and Alan and Matthew. And, oh, yeah, and also giving Hooper, uh, Jerry O'Shea, his nickname of Jelly O'Shea, after an attack on Jerry by Tony with a bag of jelly beans whilst we were all in Stockholm and European Jew do a against Drogarden twenty or so years ago. Another story for another day. Anyway, Tony used this used this mad about Elvis, mad about Boys Own, mad about Walk, but most of all mad about Lovers. Always. I'm sure you're up there now, Tony, no doubt pulling points with Len Allen by your side. For the likes of Big Deck and Ringo and young John Conway and Probably something else then for Daddy Hadji and Mr. Palmer. In any case, look, keep on hooping, Tony. How are you? Uh, it's Mick Lacken here. I've known, well, Tony Eustace, as he's known, Hugo, as I've known him since the first met him. Um, 1971, we started hanging around together. As a girls, Rovers, I remember, uh, well, different things over the years. But there was, um, I remember one time the two of us, I think it was 73, bunking off school together to, uh, to go up to see Rovers against Strada, I think it was Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I wrote a cover note, supposedly, from his folks for him, and he wrote one, supposedly, from my folks for me. So um, I couldn't even tell you how the match went. I have a notion we won it. A good trip, good time was had by y'all. I also remember another time he couldn't get off work, so he ended up, he couldn't get off for too long, so he was walking in the North Star Hotel in Amiens Street. I think it's called something else now, the address or something. But um, he got a taxi up to Dundalk, straight up, got the match in, straight back again. Other things I remember, right, that me folks always had a great time for Hugo. And at Christmas, invariably in the Glacken households, it was just just family. I'm come Stephen to say the brothers would be there playing guitars and whatnot, you know. We'd all have a bit of a, a sing song and that, you know. But um, Ma would always be there waiting for Hugo to arrive, and it'd be a case of where's Tony, where's Tony, you know. And she wouldn't settle until Hugo come in, invariably half pissed. And uh, then it was hello, Mr. Glacken, hello, Mrs. Glacken, and Ma was happy then. Once Hugo was there, everything was all right with the Wordles. The another time was um, I remember when I was, I was waking me dad as in. You know, my dad was brown breads and uh, he was laid out in the front room and 
I was um, I was lying down on the other side of the beds because I didn't want him obviously to be by himself for the night. And about two half two in the morning, then Hugo arrives down in the house with a bottle of whiskey coming in from work. So that was it. Then that was that was the end of. Um, we still managed to wake me there, but uh, that was the end of a, a quiet night and the, the start of the consumption of multitudinous bottles of whiskey. But uh, it was some out great Hooper, great Elvis fan, appreciated the finer things in life. So definitely he was he was something special. He'd be missed. Take care. My name's Joe Glecken. Um, I'd like to thank the Eustace family for giving me an opportunity to... Uh, Share memories of my good friend and Shamrock Rovers fanatic, Tony Eustace. I knew Tony from the early 70s. He was in the same class as my brother Mick in Della Sarahini. And uh, two Jokers and two Rovers fans, they quickly found each other. And uh, a friendship was started and bonds were made that spread through the families. My brother Jerry is married to Tony's sister, Mary Eustace. And there's lots of links between the families. As I say, going all the way back to the early 70s. At that time, myself, Tony and Mick used to uh, get the 29A. We were coming from Donamede. Tony was coming from Edmore. And there were other hoopers like the Conroys and Dave Campbell and various other hoopers who I knew to see and wouldn't know names. And we'd all trek in every two weeks into town and uh, then over the bridge and get the bus south to Milltown. Uh, once we started working and had money in our pockets, we started breaking the journey home by uh, again getting the bus from Milltown into uh, Poolbeg Street and going to Mulligans, where we'd have extensive post-match analysis of our points till the 10 o'clock closing on the Sunday. Tony loved Rovers and loved talking about Rovers, and he was a barman in the sheds in the 70s and 80s, and Monday was his day off. And Dublin went through, or Ireland went through a couple of recessions in those decades, and wasn't always a fun place and certainly wasn't a lively place on a Monday. But it was Tony's day off and he was going to make certain it was, a, it was going to be lively. So he used to meet me at lunchtime in the International Bar in Wicklow Street. I was working with Post and Telegraphs in Dame Court, Exchequer Street. And I'd come down for a soup and a sandwich and a chat. I'd bring the Irish Times, he'd have the Indo and we'd get a copy of the Irish Press somewhere. And we'd read through the match reports from the previous day's game and swap them over and talk about them. And Tony would spend the rest of the lunch break trying to uh, encourage me to bunk off for the afternoon, which happened quite a bit, actually, more than I should have. And we'd uh, we'd ring some of the other family and friends and see if we could get a few people out for drinks. Often going via the Cedars and heading on out to uh, Daddy Kill and the Lollipops in the Saints. Uh, so our match day experience, as they call it now, would start at lunchtime Sunday and would end up around uh, one o'clock in the morning out in Holt, wondering how the hell we were going to get back home. Uh, Tony was great crack, great company. Uh, he was a serious guy as well. He had beliefs and standards. And uh, when I met him first, football-wise, I thought he was a bit of a Man U fan, but it turned out he was just a George Best fan. And then once George Best uh, pissed it all away, he'd have absolutely no time for him, just... Because Tony reckoned you did your best in everything, whether it was walk or play. You gave it socks. And uh, the biggest crime was to have talent and waste it. And that's how he saw that, the George Best story. 
most of my memories with Tony, I mean, we we played football together with Dolly Bill when they were formed in 81. And, uh, yeah, lots of memories from there. Uh, probably a highlight Rovers wide would be that um, we played a cup final and it was played at Milltown. And that was after Milltown uh, had been sold by the Kilcoins. So it was sort of special to get a last time to go into the ground and use the dressing rooms and so on. And, uh, yeah, I think it meant a lot to Tony and myself and some of the other hoopers that were involved with the club. Tony also uh, was groomsman at my wedding and I was best man at his wedding to Sheila. And so with the football and the family, there's lots of connections. But I'll always remember Tony in terms of Shamrock Rovers because that was absolutely his prime drive in life. Um, I say he worked as a barman in the sheds. And with Sunday football, he didn't have all the Sundays off. So he really prized when he could get to games and he got the loads of them. He'd do all sorts of match uh, swaps with staff and that to uh, facilitate getting off. And they, they'd look after him if they could because everyone just knew it was Rovers for Tony. He, um, we were going to draw it once and uh, there must have been an hour in the month or something, so they changed the timetable. Anyway, there was no bus to get to Drogheda and we were wondering what you do on a, on a, a wet Sunday afternoon when Rovers are away. And uh, Tony went away, came back two minutes later and he talked to a taxi man and organised a taxi to take us up to Drogheda, drop us there for, for the game. Uh, we had to pay the taxi up and back, even though he wasn't going to be taking us home. And at that time, there weren't that many taxis and they were expensive. So we thought the novelty of it, it was great crack. We did it. There was three or four of us. We split the bill, grant, you know, uh, confident knowledge we'd never do anything like that again. Uh, but a few months later, we were playing up in Dundalk. Tony, I think, was walking in the morning, couldn't get off in time. And uh, we made the trip as we did, uh, getting the... the uh, bus airing up, getting off out at the fairways so you'd get into the pub before two o'clock so you could have a few pints because otherwise by the time you got Dundalk Town the pubs were shut and you were hanging around for an hour and a quarter doing nothing. So we got to the ground as we normally did, full of the joys and uh, there was Tony and Tony normally be very outgoing, friendly but he seemed reluctant to say how in God's name he'd got up and it turned out the hill of Hunt he'd got a taxi, he'd got a taxi from Dublin to Dundalk paid the taxi driver for the double trip up and down once again when he wasn't going to be taken home from i'd say it has it must have been near a week's wages or something but tony just didn't see that tony saw green and white and he saw rovers and he wanted to be there and that's how important it was to him and always was to him um there was uh, a guy shay who drove a minibus and he drank in the sheds and Tony be talking to him about the football and all that. And eventually he realised that Shea was doing bank uh, runs for the banks or something like that, staff. And basically he was free on a Sunday. So Tony got him uh, signed up to take us on trips. As I said, you know, there would have been Tony, his younger brothers, James and Michael, myself, my brother Mick, Jerry, Paul. There was a good group of us. And then we got a few other hoopers we knew that didn't... That, wouldn't be going by other ways. And we managed to fill fill the minibus a couple of times and half fill it a couple of times. And we had great trip for two years. I mean, mad trips, you know. When the driver's telling you he won't leave Kinnegad until someone puts the potted plant that's sitting in the middle of the bus back into the the hotel foyer, you know you're on a good away trip. You know you're on a Rovers away trip anyway. Um, yeah, and 
again, that was Tony organised because he was desperate to get the Rovers matches. That that was it. Um, that caused trouble when we left Milltown and we had the boycott season in Talker Park. Tony couldn't understand how you could support Rovers by not supporting Rovers. Lots of us could see the sense in the boycott and trying to get rid of the Kilcoins. But I'd say Tony just couldn't do it. Uh, he spent all his life, all his years, doing everything to try and get to Rovers games. And he couldn't under, he just couldn't do it. And it was painful for him because he went past guys that he had gone on away games with and who he respected and who had respected him. And he got abuse going in. And then he sat inside knowing that, you know, if there were more guys, there'd be more support. Maybe the team would be better. You just couldn't see past the green and white shorts. Uh, it's a sign of the strength of the man and his character that while he was always a pleasant guy to meet and good humour, Tony had iron in the soul. Um, he ran his, his sport at school, was athletics, and it was middle uh, middle distance and cross-country running. And they're the, that's sort of sport that you don't take on without really strong-willed and focus and determination. And as I say, iron in the soul. And Tony had that. And that was a really hard decision for him to go into talking, but he did it. And when it came out afterwards, and we were all back together again, trying to make it work for the club. And you knew it would come up because it was too important for people for it not to be said. And I remember a, a train down to the water for the car. And I think with Sean, he said it to Tony, you know, because he wouldn't known Tony beforehand. He said, you know, you went in, why did you do it? And Tony just said it straight. He says, I love Rovers, and I couldn't see how you could support the team by not supporting the team. And it just rang so true and honest. And we realised we're all Rovers fans. We all have different ways of doing it. Some shout and roar, some sit quietly, you know, some are analytical, some are off the cuff with it and emotional. And uh, Tony did what he thought was right as a Shamrock Rovers fan. And the uh, and I don't know if anyone else could have been, if you like, rehabilitated in the same way. You know, Tony didn't apologise because there was nothing to apologise for. He was Tony. He was doing what he believed was right. And I think people respected him for that. And there was never a bother afterwards. Uh, he loved Rovers. I remember at one stage, you couldn't get the, um, you couldn't get the replica shorts. Um, and the only way you could get them was playing by Rovers. I think Pat Bourne was a rep for someone and he used to come into the sheds and Tony be talking football with him. And Tony mentioned it, you know, chance his arm, as he would, and said, like, oh, I'd love a Rovers shirt. You know, and I think Pat Bourne got him one. You know, I used them. And uh, Tony absolutely prized it. Didn't matter who wore it, you know, uh, who else had worn it or where, what game it was in. It was Shamrock Rovers. And he loved it. Um, we went away to some Ireland games in the 80s and he enjoyed the crack and the trips. Uh, <laughs> he enjoyed it too much once in uh, going to Rotterdam and uh, we were trying to get him straightened up in the carriage to get into the game when we were on the train and when I went into the next carriage his younger brother James he was there with some mates from Eden Moore and James was having a drink and he asked me not to tell his big brother Tony that he was drinking and I said I think you're safe James <laughs> you know? I think even if we said it Tony he wouldn't have remembered but he liked those trips for the crack and the company and all that but that wasn't a football trip for him. Football to him was Rovers. And one of his happiest days was when he got to Rovers played Honvid away in Budapest. And he went on the trip and he was full of stories and memories from it. And he loved it. Loved it, even though Rovers lost. But he just loved being away on a Rovers trip, talking to Rovers people and that. Um, I'm probably waffling now, but uh, 
very it's very emotional remembering Tony and I'd say it's all green and white and hoops and uh it, you know if you if you cut him in, he'd bleed green and white and if you cut him in half like a stick of rock he'd be SRFC right on the middle and he's gone and he's a loss but he has left a great legacy with Sheila and his sons Alan and Matthew who all have the same virus, the Shamrock Rovers virus, for which, thanks be to God, there's no cure. It's a lifelong affliction, and we're all loving it. Uh, I miss him. I miss that I can't go up there. Up to uh, Harry Bourne and talk to him about Rovers things. But I know wherever he is, he has his green and white uh, bar scarf on, and uh, he has kept on hooping. Thank you. Hi, my name is Bud, and I'm very lucky to be able to call Tony my uncle, friend, and role model. When I think of Tony, three things come to mind immediately. Boys on, Elvis Presley, and Shamrock Rovers. Say what you like about his taste of music, but he got the football side of things spot on. My earliest memories of Tony were based in Sanctuary Stadium in Tulka Park, where he took me to see Rovers as a kid. I probably naively thought Tony and my auntie Sheila were buzzing to spend time with their nephew, but realistically, I think they just wanted to breed another Rovers fan for the future. Shamrock Rovers meant the absolute world to Tony. They filled him with joy and pride and riddled him with anger and nerves. And after his family were the biggest part of his life. We often made the hour long journey from Marino to Tala in Friday evening traffic. I quickly learned that when nerves were getting the better of him for a big game, you chat away in the back seat, but you leave him be in the front. And the journey back could feel like an eternity after a bad defeat. Radio silence until the moment I was dropped off. That being said, he was a man I absolutely loved to be around in any and all circumstances. An incredibly hard worker, a famously poor drinker, and a box office comedian when he got going. Once that second point of Bulmers was down the hatch, there wasn't a linesman in the country who was safe. I can still hear him shout, get your hair out of your eyes, at some poor unfortunate bald official, and the laughter that followed from the stand. You could talk for hours about Tony, just like he could talk to you for hours about the art of keeping it simple as a centre mid, or how his son Matthew was a beautiful footballer. Keyword there being was, sorry Matthew. Tony and Sheila, they brought me all over the country to see Rovers. I've particularly fond memories of trips during some of the club's more difficult days in Division 1. But he'd never take a cent from me and always replying with, you can buy me a pint when we win the league. When that moment finally came, away to Bray in 2010, instead of getting him a pint, I was trusted with bringing his sons, Alan and Matthew, home on the dart so that himself and Sheila could go out and celebrate um, I was still fairly inexperienced in the field of babysitting and I let Matthew get off by himself at the wrong stop and almost had a catastrophe. Um, but even if we lost him for a few hours, though, I, I don't think it would have dampened Tony's spirits too much that night. Um, being a Rovers fan in Glasnevin, I'm peppered with abuse from Bowes and Shells fans regularly and constantly explaining how I ended up following a club from Milltown, now in Tala. Um, but despite the abuse, I wouldn't change it for the world. Shamrock Rovers, they allowed me to spend hours and hours with Tony in his most naturally happy environment, and I cherish every second of it. Tony Eustace, a legend and greatly missed today and forever. My name is Jerry O'Shea, a lifelong Rover supporter. 
since the 1971 league playoff with Cork Iberians. Recently, I received a request from Alan asking if I would like to take part in a tribute podcast to his great dad, Tony Eustace. I have to admit that I was chuffed to be asked, as Tony was very dear to me. We used to have great chats at home or away fixtures. I only really got to know Tony as late as around 2000, even though we both had followed Rovers for nearly all our lives. Tony was a one in a million person, a happy-go-lucky guy who was always a pleasure to be in his company. He was a great athlete, always kept himself remarkably fit. Whether we chatted about Rovers, current affairs or music, he was always very engaging. He had a great smile that would light up any room full of hoopers. We shared a love for Elvis Presley along with Rovers. Always remember on many occasions, whether at home or away, we would greet each other with a big hug. There's one time that I will always remember and never got to live down since. It was back in 2002 and it was the last time we played Jurgarden of Sweden in Europe. We had, a, we had lost the first leg 3-1 at Talca Park, but still the Hooper actually travelled in numbers for the away leg. I was very fortunate to share a room with Tony on that occasion and the banter and laughs we shared were unbelievable over the few days. Anyway, I think it was the night before the game and Tony and I and others in our group, the Glackens, Jimmy Conroy, Banjo, Big Deck, just to name a few, were out on the lash. Tony had returned to our hotel at a reasonable hour, but I stayed out a bit longer. And I remember getting back to the room at some unearthly hour. Tony was asleep in his bed and I had this urge to have some peanuts. I opened the mini bar, took out a tube that I thought contained peanuts and scoffed a load into my mouth. They weren't peanuts, they were jelly beans. I just let out a roar, woke Tony up. He started uttering a lot of curses and moans in my direction. I then showered Tony with the entire contents of the jelly bean tube. The next day, Tony took great delight in telling all of my moment of madness. And Tony and Deck decided to nickname me Jelly, a name that has stuck with me since then. All thanks to Tony that night in Stockholm. When we got confirmation of Jurgarden being in our group again in Europe, the first person I thought of was Tony. I will always remember him for his great wit, warm smile, great sense of humour, intelligent conversations and his great love for rovers. He is and always will be remembered. Miss you, Tony. Hope to see you on the other side. Take care. Hi, Hoops. Jim Conroy here. It's a great honour to, to get this opportunity to pay tribute to my old friend, Tony Eustace. Me and Tony, we, we travelled many miles uh, for, for following the Hoops over the years. Uh, I especially remember the, the, the legendary trip to Budapest in 85. It, it, was, it, it was a great trip, that one. But we travelled all over Ireland and, and European games and all, and, and he, was all, he was always brilliant company. Of course, Tony, I, I, I knew him was more than just a, a Rovers fan. He was also one of my favourite barmen. And he, and he, uh, I remember him from the sheds in, in, in Clunturf, which is a, incidentally, Paddy Ambrose, that was his local pub, and in Cavanagh's in Marino. And, and he, he always made sure that me and me dad had, had a good seat at the bar and, and always served as a, lo- a lovely point or two or three. Tony... Yeah, he was he was always he was always great company, but I never stood near him at a Rovers game. Oh God, he drove you mad. He, he commentated for the full ninety minutes. Of course, a Rovers player never committed a foul, was never offside, never disrespected the referees. Oh my God, like Tony, he, he was he was he was an unbelievable man, and he'd go on non-stop for the whole game, you know. <laughs> Then after the game, he, he, he would be the most rational person having, having a few points for us, you know. He, it'd be the, the rational Tony after the game. 
His wife Sheila, of course, is is also a huge Rovers fan, and uh, in fact, she she's one of the most knowledgeable Rovers fans I've ever met. But but she she she's also huge into the basketball. I remember her telling me when when they started going out of first, he he started going to the to the basketball games, and of course, eventually he he he, he got to know the game well, and of course, he behaved at the basketball games exactly the same way as he did at the Rovers game, like when Sheila was playing basketball and that. Uh, uh, her team was always always in the right. It was just showed he, he had a great passion. He had a great passion uh, for sport, and of course, he he, be, he became an expert in ba- on basketball as well as football uh, as as time went on. Ah, Tony, yeah, Tony, he'd be very very proud of of Sheila, of course, Alan and Matthew. Who who are, are three of the, the best Rovers fans I know, and and they go to, to they go to all the games still, and and they follow the game with great passion, uh, the, the type of passion that Tony would be very proud of. Oh God, Tony! Yeah, there's just two things more I have to say to say about about him, and the first thing is, oh yes, I, I had to mention his his brother Billy, Billy Eustace, the late Billy, who who I presume started to bring him to the Rovers games. Billy Billy died in in two thousand and four, and was quite a bit older than Tony, so I imagine it was it was Billy who who, who introduced him to Rovers. Billy was a great Rovers fan as well. And of course, the final thing I had to mention is he's he's nobody's perfect. His love of Boyzone, he really loved Boyzone, and I think he was the oldest Boyzone uh, fan around. And like everything else in life, he was a passion that he was interested. He was passionate about Boyzone, and he used to drive us mad over over that. As I said, nobody's perfect. But but even even to this day now, when 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 I when I just there's two times, especially when I think of Tony. Of course, when I hear a boys' own song on the radio, I always say, "Oh God, yeah, I remember that's Tony Eustace's band." And then the other time is if I'm at a Rovers match and the ref gives a really bad decision. Sometimes, I, like I don't, I, I to think, "Oh, how would how would Tony react to that one?" You know. But they're, they're happy memories. He was a great Rover, and it was a Rovers fan, and it was an honour to have him as a friend. Thank you very much for for, 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 for for letting me do this. Thank you. Hello, Alan Eustace here, Tony's eldest son. I was brought to Rovers games since before I can remember by my mum and my dad. He converted her to the hoops before I was born, so my attendance at games from earliest childhood was guaranteed. I've told the story on this podcast before about the dispute over my name between my folks and Big Deck. But for those who haven't heard it, Deck tried to impress upon my dad how important it was that I be called Peter after Peter Eccles, and was only satisfied with Alan once my folks convinced him it was for Alan O'Neill. The earliest games I can remember were in Morton Stadium, but I have to conv- confess to not recalling much of the football. I spent more time running around in some trees behind the hill my dad and some glackens would be perched on watching the game. And if that level of disinterest in the hoops offended my dad, I bet he was horrified later when I started bringing Harry Potter books along to games in Tolka Park, utterly oblivious to what was going on on the pitch. Thankfully, he had my brother Matthew and my mom, of course, to share that fanatical love of the hoops during my own misguided youth. And he never gave up on bringing me to matches. When at last some arsehole ruined the ending of Harry Potter on the In The Stand in Tolka, I finally learned to leave the books at home and watch the football. 
Who knows? Maybe my dad put the guy up to it. In the end, my dad's heroic efforts to kindle the rover's flame in me paid off. Maybe it hasn't quite developed into a flare as bright as Matthew's, but I will always keep a candle burning for my dad by supporting the hoops. While I think of it, I'd be very surprised if there aren't people on here slagging off my dad's love of Boyzone. I actually inherited that quicker than I did the football. But not only did dad persevere in bringing me all over the country over the years to Rovers matches, but he, all, he often brought me along to his own matches playing for Dollymount in the United Churches League and, bless him, even helped coach my own football team for a while. Now that would try the patience of a saint. But dad was the backbone of Marino AFC at the time and often enlisted myself or Matthew to help him with his duties as kit man. I have fond memories now of me and dad in the old clubhouse with his meticulous system of signs made with his beloved laminator and colour-coded flagpoles. His phone never stopped ringing with requests from managers looking for shorts or bibs or whatever. Speaking of my dad's phone, he had an annual ritual that at the end of a rover season he would pick a new ringtone. Highlights included Spirit in the Sky and La Bamba. And then at the start of the new season, change it back to either Build Me Up Buttercup or Ring of Fire. Another crucial part of the league kickoff was filling in all the fixtures on the calendar in our kitchen so that he could see what Fridays or Saturdays he needed to book off work. Dad was a barman, most recently in Harry Burns in Clontarf. Harry's was and remains a big rugby pub, and having tried in vain to convert colleagues and customers to League of Ireland, Dad eventually said to himself, I better learn something about this bizarre game of egg ball. He became friends over the years with Keen Healy and other rugby players who called into Harry's. We have a great photo in the house of him being towered over by the late Jonah Lomu. One sport, however, he could never find anything but distaste for was bog ball, as he and many hoopers call it. My mother's plaintive efforts to drag me and Matthew along to Dublin matches in Crow Park could not survive the bitter dispute with Thomas Davis over Tallis Stadium. Dad's animosity to the GAA and all its works and all its empty promises was not helped by the fact my and Matthew's school was mad for bog ball and stick fighting, as he called hurling, which always overshadowed the sport Matthew and I both played, which was basketball. Just to be clear, Dad knew nothing about basketball. In fact, he would often loudly proclaim, now I know nothing about basketball, but, and then launch into a rant invariably about referees. He did always have a troubled relationship with referees. I'm sure someone else here will tell the story of the bald linesman, but I'll just mention a time he got away with something as a player for Dollymount. A crunching challenge in the box brought down the other team's star striker, whose vigorous appeals for a penno did not sway the oblivious referee. Even when the striker pulled down the collar of his jersey to reveal the imprint of six studs on his chest, my dad stood by, smiling angelically, and the ref played on. Dolly Mount, of course, played in green and white hoops. You can guess whose idea that was. Rovers was my dad's true love, shaded only by his love for my mum Sheila, Matthew, and myself. He was a wonderful father and family man, and a brilliant character all round. Thanks to Tifties for organising this tribute to him and to everyone who contributed their memories. Keep on hooping, Dad. Hi, I'm Sheila, uh, Tony's wife. 
So when Jimmy suggested this tribute to Tony and asked me to take part, I worried that I wouldn't be able to do him justice in a in just a few minutes. So I'll try while um, just recounting a few Rovers related stories. So it was through Tony that I first heard of Rovers. Uh, it was January 1987 and we just started going out. My friend invited me to her black and white themed 21st uh, out in Malahide and it was on a Friday. So I thought to myself that I'd uh, bring my new fella to show him off because he was a bit of a fine thing. So when I put it to him, his response kind of puzzled me. He said, hmm, Malahide, party, black and white. Well, we'll get there eventually, but first it's Milltown Rovers, green and white. I'd never heard of Shamrock Rovers and I'd never been to Milltown. So after a pint in Mulligans, we got the bus to Milltown. And I don't really remember who were, who were playing that night or even the result. But it was the last year of the four in a row, so I think that we won. But what I do remember vividly, though, is the atmosphere. The place was packed and it was rocking. Uh, we made our way up the terrace to here, uh, to where Tony's friends and family were. And uh, what I can recall is the banter, the shouts, the singing. It was brilliant. And that was me hooked anyway. Of course, that was the year that Glenmuller Park was sold. And I'll never forget how upset Tony was. He was really distraught, as were all Rovers fans. And grown men were crying and raging and... They despaired. It was a terrible thing. Uh, when we bought our house in 1991, we painted it green and white and we called it Glenmalure. Last year on Tony's fifth anniversary, I had his ashes opened and I took some up to Milltown, which is the little park that marks where the centre circle used to be. And I buried them there because even though he loved Tala Stadium, I think that like all fans of his vintage, a bit of his heart was always in Milltown. Anyway, we got married in 92 and a few years later, our kids came along. Now, I know Alan already shared stories about his dad's friendship with Big Deck on, on the Tales from the East End podcast already. So I won't repeat the story about choosing his name. But when our second son, Matthew, was born, uh, Deck insisted that we called him after Matt Britton. Um, I, who'd actually, I just realised recently, he got player of the month in, in January in 19, uh, 1998. Anyway, Matthew had the good grace to be born hale and hearty early on a Friday afternoon which happened to be Derby Day, so Rovers away to Bowes. And when all the fuss was over and Tony could see that uh, mother and baby were grand, he was kind of twitching away beside the bed. So I said to him, well, are you going to head over to Daily Mount? And he practically sprinted out of the ward, uh, over to the hut to wet the baby's head and then into the ground. He told me the next day that he, he was standing behind the goal when the hoops went 1-0 up, which was the result, by the way. And he was thinking, what a great day it was. New baby, family complete. Everyone healthy, Rovers beating bows. So we started to sing Perfect Day. And I can never hear that song without imagining there that night, delighted with life. It was such a great time as the kids grew up, bringing them to all the matches. Uh, we got nearly drowned in, in Modena. Uh, we did a Wanderley Wagon Tour of Ireland in the first division back in 2006. Spent a lot of time stuck in traffic in, in moat, of all places. Anyway, Tony got sick in the spring of 2016. And just before he went into hospital to start his chemo, we went to another Dublin derby, Rovers away to Bowes, for uh, 15th of April. We won 4-0. Now, we didn't know that it was to be Tony's last match. And look, we'll all have a last match someday, and we don't know when that will be. But looking back, uh, we couldn't have wished for a, a better last match for Tony. So a drink in Hedigan's with friends, and a short walk to Daily Mount, and a 4-0 win. He wasn't too well, but he was very happy that night. Tony died early on a Friday afternoon, July 15th. Rovers were home that night. Uh, by kickoff, the boys on the East Stand had a banner done for him. There was a minute's applause. 
and a tribute to him in, in the next match programme. Dozens of hoops paid their respects over that weekend and at his funeral. Uh, our family will never forget that. I was wondering how much to say and when to stop and how to end this. So I'd started reflecting on, on what my life might have been like if I'd never met Tony. Unimaginable. Uh, but I've missed out on the exhilaration of following Rovers. I'd have missed out on being part of that great family. I'd have missed out on being a member of the Eustace Glack and Janaki uh, triad, a motley crew. And I'd missed out on our own boys with our dad's blood and Rovers DNA in them. And I'd have missed living my very best life with my very best friend, Tony. So thanks for listening. So brilliant stuff. And um, the old son with the, the Harry Potter f- obsession battered out. Had a spoil for him in the stand. <laughs> I've still never seen any Harry Potters, by the way. I, I was just about to say, uh, spoil away for me because uh, I'm not, I, I haven't read or seen any Harry Potter. I'll be, uh, I'll be watching my Christmas. I'm told to watch them. Um, so yeah, Tony, by all accounts, um, yeah, another one of these features in, in Memoriam who we've not met personally. Um, we didn't know much about going into this, so quite enjoyable learning mm-hmm. about people like this. Uh, great barman, great dad, great Hooper. Uh, but it sounds things you wouldn't want to stand next to him at a game. No. Because he abuses Yeah, everybody. I like that though. Depends. Um, I like how his son's being named. Big Deck is getting involved. In this, he's like you have to name it. You have to name I remember Alan, hearing that before. Yeah. Alan after Alan O'Neill, and Matthew after Matt Britton. Matt Britton. Yeah. Saw his van the other day outside the house. Matt Britton carpet. I think it was Matt Britton. Um, and his last game was the four 0 win in Dannymount, twenty sixteen. That's quite quite a uh, last game yeah. for somebody. And like Sheila um, said, everybody will have our last game. That kind of hit me. Hit me in the fields. Yeah, that, I, I I remember that line. Yeah. yeah. Um, Spending a week's wages on a taxi to draw to That's dedicated. I love Rovers and all, but <laughs> no. I like eating. No. I like having heat. That's and no, electricity. Not As you said, they had the Eustace Glacken Janaki Conroy gang. Not that's what, like a fucking crime family. That's, that's, that's a like crime syndicate, isn't it? Trifecta's tree. What's the what's the four word? I don't know. A crime uh, family. That's what it is. <laughs> he boys on. Uh, and a big Elvis fan as well. It seemed like quite the character, so uh, I quite enjoyed that one. Yeah, some brilliant stuff and great to hear from all the families and friends. But that's it for this week, Prof. We will see you in the sales stand, Block X. We will see you in Hunky Dory Park in Drotada, where we our march for the league continues on for that second star, Prof. So that is it for this week, and we will keep on hooping. See ya.
never think about me when I was near you Why would you ever put me first? You are second to none I wanted to leave, I tried to fight someone new But I always end up still wanting